0: pleasure to be here. As I'm worshiping, worshiping with you today, I, I feel so much how you love Jesus and you are receiving Jesus' love. It's clear from the, the way you worship, the way you greeted me. Uh, yeah, it's just really evident here and uh, it's really a joy to be with you. So thank you for having me and uh, let's, uh, let's listen to God together. We'll begin with, uh, from the First Testament, the Old Testament, um, the prophet Isaiah, a couple of verses from Jeremiah. Did I just say Isaiah? Jeremiah. Yahweh proclaims, the learned should not boast of their knowledge, nor warriors boast of their might, nor the rich boast of their wealth, no, Those who boast should boast in this, that they understand and know me. I am Yahweh, who acts with kindness, justice, and righteousness in the world, and I delight in these things, declares Yahweh. And from the New Testament, from 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church, little church in the city of Corinth, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it's the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It's written in Scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom He determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation, Paul says to the Corinthians, when you were called, brothers and sisters, by ordinary human standards, not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, not many were from the upper class, but God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong, and God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing. Nothing to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. It's because of God that you're in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. This means that he made us righteous and holy, and he delivered us, and we sang about that earlier. This is consistent with what was written. The one who brags should brag in the Lord, which is what Jeremiah just said, right? Let the one who boasts boast in this that he knows me. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come preaching God's secrets to you like I was an expert in speech or wisdom. I had made my mind up not to think about anything while I was with you except Jesus Christ and to preach him as crucified. I stood in front of you with weakness, fear, and a lot of shaking. Mm. Some of us... um, have our greatest fear is public speaking, they say, for North Americans. So we can identify, right, with the fear and the trembling. My message and my preaching weren't presented with convincing wise words, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I did this so that your faith might not depend on the wisdom of people, but on the power of God. Before we kind of dig into this scripture, or is a way to dig into the scripture, I invite you to reflect on a couple of questions here, um, and just kind of reflect silently for a moment, and then we'll we'll ask ourselves these questions. So think with me for a minute. Who in our society is likely to be the most overlooked, or to get the worst? treatment in hospital, who are we most likely to listen to? So just think of those series first of questions, if we could flip back. Um, So who in our society is likely to be most overlooked or to get the worst treatment in hospital? Who, uh, and I think, did we have one before that? But that's okay. Uh, But in contrast, who are we most likely to listen to? So on the one hand, Who's most overlooked, gets the worst treatment? Um, and then on the other hand, who are we most likely to listen to? Uh, I don't know if there's a couple other questions there. I'll, yeah, who has the most doors open to them in our society and who has the ear of legislators and politicians? So take a moment to think about those questions. So, who's in the bottom in our society? Who's on the bottom? Addicts. Homeless. Seniors. Indigenous people. People with disabilities. Mentally ill. Refugee asylums and I had that in my notes, but then, of course, we just heard that, too, didn't we? About what that was like. And who's, who's in the very bottom? The very bottom. I think you, you've already really listed it. Drug addicts, homeless, refugee asylum seekers, people who are prostituted, who are incarcerated, and, of course, many, disproportionately so many, of those are indigenous, black, or Asian and brown. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians church in chapter 2, verse 3, that during his visit to Corinth, he resolved to preach and think only about Jesus and to preach only Jesus crucified. So perhaps you've given some thought to how bizarre it is, really, that people wear around their necks as a piece of jewelry, a symbol of public, state-ordered execution. In the country just south of us, in many states, the death penalty is still legal, and people are killed by electric chair or injection, and sometimes they have the brutal choice between those two. So. Imagine wearing a tiny decorative electric chair around your neck, or a miniature, miniature bed with restraints and a needle above it. For the next few minutes, we're going to think about how a criminal's violent death, the, the cross, has been the primary symbol for centuries, for the whole of church history, of our faith. Do any of you remember how quick the former president um, of the U.S., Trump, was to label anyone he thought was looked weak or foolish, loser? Does anybody remember that? Yeah. The Apostle Paul explains to the Corinthians that um, being losers is when God's power can be most visible, when people are the weakest, and that the most foolish, the, the weakest Seemingly weakest event in history, when the creator and giver of life hung dying on the cross, that was the most powerful moment in time. So let's look back at our text here today. There are sort of three things that Paul's talking about. In the first few years after Jesus' resurrection, 2,000 years ago, Paul traveled to various cities talking to Jewish people, uh, and when they wouldn't listen to him, then turning and talking to non-Jews, to Gentiles, about Jesus and including a visit to the cosmopolitan harbor city of Corinth, sounds a little bit like the city I live in in this region. Now he references his visit to Corinth to this little group of believers and he reminds them first that preaching the execution of Jesus on the cross was a weak and foolish message. And then he, he says, he reminds them, most of you, when you received the message, you were low in status. You were nobody in society. You weren't. You were low class. Did you you notice all that? You were not all that, is what he's saying to them. And he says, uh, maybe you noticed this, the various status markers, such as education, charisma, eloquent speech, money, physical strength, all the ways that human beings compete for power and compete to show that they are on top, show their value. Paul writes that the cross And the messengers of the cross shame and mock those who think they are above others. Verse 28 and 29. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life to be considered what is considered nothing, to reduce what is considered something to nothing, so no human being can brag in God's presence. And so Paul then reminds them that he was a weak preacher who spoke with fear and trembling. And sometimes people will say, well, Paul must have just been, this can't be true. I mean, people don't believe it because he was Paul. But obviously God worked through a man who spoke with fear and trembling. My message, he says, wasn't presented with convincing wide words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I did this so that your faith might depend on the wisdom of God. Not on the wisdom of people, but on the power of God. So it's exactly in Paul's weakness that God's strength was shown because God did all these miracles and healings to back up Paul's words, which weren't much. The problems in the Corinthian church were, were based, and you can, if you read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians again, you'll see this, that they were always based in conflict over status. Just like today, people with more money, more power, more open doors in society were trying to call the shots. For example, a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul describes how the Corinthian celebration of the communion meal, sometimes called the love feast, wasn't a loving experience and it wasn't much of a feast for all the people who were poor. Because the rich people ate and drank everything up before the poor people could get any. Which is why Paul warned them that those who eat and drink without understanding the body, and he was talking about Jesus' body, us, Jesus, brothers and sisters, people who eat and drink without understanding the body drink and eat judgment on themselves. When the rich disregard the poor at the communion meal, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. So let's look at how God's weakness is actually strength and God's foolishness is wise. What's the weakness of the cross? Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. Jewish people knew that the Bible taught that anyone who hung on a cross was cursed. So for them, what could be more scandalous than to think of Almighty God becoming a humble human being the great I am, Yahweh, the great I am who deserves all glory and honor, would be born as a poor human and then be shamed and humiliated in a public execution. That was scandalous. And what is the foolishness of the cross? The Greek word here, actually the word form here is moron. The word we, we get our word moron, um, which is intellectual deficiency, moronic For the Greeks who valued logic, the message of a God who becomes human, allows himself to be subdued, tortured, publicly executed, is illogical. It's completely foolish. It really is nonsense, isn't it? It doesn't doesn't make any sense. How can death defeat death? How can violence defeat violence? And the Son of God who lived in intimacy from eternity with the Father in heaven At that moment on the cross, we sang about it, at that moment on the cross, the Father turned God's back on God the Son because God the Son was dirty and full of shame and smelled bad with our sin, with our guilt and with our shame. Well, so, okay, we can see how it's foolish, can't we? We can see how it seems weak. So how is God's weakness strength? What's the strength of the cross? well it's that in his death all the powers the forces in the universe the created forces powers that god made but which have become corrupted i mean you only have to look at <laughs> you only have to look at the places where we invest our money to see how forces powers have been corrupted things that you'd think could be good things like alcohol and sex and, i mean you could list all these beautiful powers family and how they've been corrupted. And, and in the cross, the scripture says, there is this great cosmic battle between good and evil, and God's upside-down kingdom was brought into history in Jesus' death. And we're still waiting for it to be fully realized, amen? Boy, are we waiting. Boy, are we longing. Boy, are we praying for justice and an end to the things that our sister shared this morning and many other things the oppression of the rich over the poor, the strong over the weak. But one day, Jesus said to his friend John, who was being persecuted and in exile on a little island for his faith, one day Jesus came to John, or maybe a series of days, we got 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, but he came and he revealed to John these words, that one day the Lamb of God will come and be with God's people. And in that moment, there will finally be no more death, no more mourning, or crying or pain because the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on the cross will be present. And what's the wisdom of the cross? The wisdom of the cross is that the power who created all the powers was stripped of all power. God who is himself love experienced violence of death and in so doing overcame death and hatred and evil with love paul says he chose to preach christ crucified because the core of the gospel is that in weakness god shows strength but this has been true all through salvation history i mean think of you could all think of so many examples. Any of you who's been reading the Bible, you could think of so many examples of how God uses the weak and the lesser. But I'll give you a few for a moment. Think about the fact that oh, only four women are listed in Jesus' lineage, and they're all women with no status. Tamar prostituted herself to get justice from a man who was depriving her of, his, of her rights. Rahab was a prostitute, and a non-Israelite, an alien, who put herself and her family at risk to hide Israelite spies, treason against her own nation. Ruth was an outsider, a non-Israelite who'd come in desperate poverty to beg from an Israelite. And Bathsheba was the woman whom King David had taken from her husband to have sex with, then made pregnant, and whose husband he then killed, had killed in battle. You could call these ancestors of Jesus his foremothers of shame, couldn't you? And yet you see in their stories, if you read them, that each of them is the most righteous, courageous, and ultimately the most honored person in each of those biblical accounts. And think of how on his time on earth, Jesus was always praising the alien, the outsider, the Gentile, for their faith, people who were unclean and those who were considered sinners. Jesus lifted them up. And Jesus chose women to be his first witnesses to the resurrection. Check that out. He appeared to women first, even though he knew women weren't considered reliable, and women weren't deemed to be credible witnesses in Jewish court. And sure enough, when the sisters went back to the other male disciples, they weren't believed by their brothers. God always turns things upside down. Paul tells us that God uses the weak and foolish things of the world to shame the powerful, taking the top down, and bring in the bottom up. Paul tells us that there's two reasons why God chose the cross. So that none of us will depend on our own good looks, money, status, strength, power. We'll depend on God alone. And so that those of us who are despised, devalued, shamed, overlooked, mistreated, will be lifted up, valued and honored just as Jesus was when he was lifted up in his brutal execution in that humiliating place on the cross. What does this all mean for you and for us as a church? Well, I think it means to consciously choose, if we're modeling after Christ's humility, to put others above ourselves, especially those who have been put down and ignored, and treated with contempt. Amen? Oh, we've got to hear that again. Amen? Yeah. Philippians 2 reminds us to think of others as better than ourselves and to adopt the attitude of Jesus who, though he was in very form God, humbled himself even to death. And Jesus, you remember Jesus urged his disciples to choose the lowest spot at a dinner party? to receive like a child, to humble ourselves that we might be exalted. (sighs) But goodness, this all takes a lot of practice for those of us who have unwittingly occupied the privileged places in society. Am I right? A lot of practice. I've been trying to practice this the last 10, 15, 20 years, and I still take up way too much space. And rely way too much on the things that were given to me, not from anything I did, but things that were given to me to give me a place in society. to take less space to put other people's voices before us. And our text makes it clear that to choose Jesus' cross also means that we die to money, power and status. isn't it? Isn't that the implication? Because that's the way Jesus lived and that's the way Jesus died. I know a few Sundays ago, and I heard it echoed in your worship this morning, a few Sundays ago you talked together about how following Jesus makes, means you make a choice to pick up the cross, right? I didn't hear that sermon. I don't know what was said and how he talked about it afterwards. But in her book, Powers, Weakness, and the Tabernacling of God, the coming down of God to tent among us, Marva Dawn invites us to see God's methods of foolishness and weakness and to choose death to wealth, status, wisdom, and power. What would that look like for you? Those of you who have already chosen to follow Jesus, what would it look like? As individuals, it likely means making decisions about our jobs, vocations, schooling, Where we raise our families, not based on money, status, power, but on how that job or education will best serve God's kingdom. To those of us who have a lot of money, it probably means starting to give away a lot more of it. And I'm going to say, Amen. Think of how Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler. Any of us who own property, or have some solid investment capital, we would have been in the category of that young ruler whom Jesus addressed. And together as a church, it means valuing the small and the weak, little people, little things, people who are considered little and weak, valuing people of low status because that's how God values, but also valuing how God works through human weakness. Like the Corinthians long ago, we, we gravitate, the North American church, we gravitate towards smart, well-educated, charismatic public speakers and to ministries that project strength and look like winners, don't we? But Paul came with fear and trembling. Yet think of how often the simplest words by less educated people can be so powerful. You've seen it on a TV um, Public announcement or you've seen it, you've seen it in various ways, you may know and enjoy the British American comedian um, John Oliver. Anybody a John Oliver fan? Um, I love how he often speaks truth to power and very humorously calls out corruption (laughs) and deception. But unfortunately listening to the wrong people recently, John Oliver, when he was speaking about the sex industry, and on YouTube, sex trade survivors call him out publicly and very simply in a brief video. They say they liked it too, that he usually calls out the powerful and judges corruption. But they said in, on YouTube it's called Letter to John Oliver from Sex Trade Survivors. Check it out. It's just a couple of minutes, but sure we're seeing. Letter to John Oliver from Sex Trade Survivors. a couple of people in that, and there are my friends actually too. These sex trade survivors are quite obviously not from educated, wealthy backgrounds, and they don't look glamorous. They speak a simple message about how those who, with power and money abuse the poorest and the least valued in our society by buying them for sex. So these choices that I'm talking about, these were impossible for us. <laughs> we, we, really, we really can't do this. We, we really... It's impossible for us naturally to reject status. Looking good, being powerful, but Jesus offers Himself to us, His own body and blood. Jesus says, "Take and eat." You and I are not strong enough to be weak. We uh, we aren't mature enough to be humble. You know what I'm saying? That's why we need to keep coming to Jesus and admitting our poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. Hallelujah is that good news. We come to receive grace and humility from the humble Lamb of God. Who better? Jesus says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble, and you will find your rest. I began by speaking to those of us for whom following Jesus will mean giving up power and status. Dying to those long time patterns. But I'm very aware that there are those of us here who are indigenous, brown, less educated, poor, who've already been kept down, who have already been the low whom Jesus came to raise up. There are, as some of us move aside As some of us listen better, others of us will finally take our rightful place, will be heard and seen and will be honored, those of us who have not been. And I'm aware that many women have been silenced, crowded, encouraged to take up less space, diminished. We too need to be given courage to speak and to lead as our humble Savior also did. Each of you, all of you together, Will you choose to follow Jesus today? I want to invite you for just a moment. Uh, I don't know when your worship usually ends, but I'm going to take a risk that we could take a minute and um, turn to someone near you and ask them, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And if you don't know the person next to you, maybe you could introduce yourself. Some of us are more quiet, reflective, so that's all right. Reflect on your own. But I would invite, invite you, if you'd like, to turn to someone near you and say, how is, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? So you probably got to get prepared, how is the Holy Spirit te- speaking to you first, because they might ask you first. But how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? I invite you to turn to each other or reflect on your own for a moment. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.